Welcome to another episode of Bleh Finance. And in this one, we're going to be talking about something called the margin of safety. And this thing is, it's so bloody important. So we're going to get into it, what it is and kind of how it applies to everyone's lives and how to kind of factor it in to the way you live your life. All right. So before we begin, as always, disclaimer, we are not professional finance advisors. We just do this for fun, sharing our knowledge, sharing our experiences. So please seek professional guidance before making any financial decisions. All right, let's get into the episode. All right, here we are for another episode. And actually, truthfully, it's been maybe a week since I last recorded. And, you know, all this finance stuff in my mind has been building up. And, you know, we've been talking to a lot of people throughout the week, hearing stories about people's finance positions and strategies and actions that they've taken. We've heard things from... um you know, it's either friends, families, or complete strangers saying, oh, I invested in this, or I bought a house here, or I'm struggling to buy a house, whatever it might be. So this is this is one of the things that I was kind of like thinking about recently, which is something called the margin of safety. So let me explain kind of how this works and why it applies to practically everybody. So, and I think maybe I even mentioned this before. So a margin of safety is basically just giving a little bit of buffer, right? Just a little bit of buffer. It's a, It's something like Let's say I'm thinking of buying a couch, okay? So I'm going to put some money aside. Now, how much money do I put aside? I assume that I know how much a couch costs. Let's say it's going to cost me $2,000. So if I'm pretty confident it's going to be $2,000, how much money do I put aside to pay for that couch, considering all my other expenses? Do I put aside $2,000, $2,500, $3,000, $4,000? And essentially, how much you put away relative to how much you think it's worth is a margin of safety. It's basically an extra buffer in case you're wrong. So let's say you go to the, you go Ikea or whatever. It's like, turns out the couch is 2,500. Well, then you're okay because you put aside 4,000. But what happens if you say, I'm going to put aside 2,000 and then all your expenses for the month happen. So you've only left with 2,000 and now you want to buy a $2,500 couch. Well, you can't afford it now. That's basically what happens. So here's another example. You always see on elevators, there's a maximum load limit of, you know, two tons or something like that. It's not necessarily, and don't quote me on this. I don't build elevators for <laughs> for a living. But basically, if you were to load that up with 2,000 kilos, it's not suddenly going to come crashing down and all the cables snap or anything. All it's going to do is say, hey, there's a warning. Listen, you've, you've reached 2,000. You're going to have to unload some. So it doesn't crumble. And that is because it's not designed to take a maximum weight of two tons. It's probably designed, designed to take a weight of two and a half or 3,000 tons or maybe even 4,000 tons or something, right? So that just in the event that you accidentally load it up with a little bit more, you've got a bit of margin of safety there. Okay. Um, we also do this in aircraft. So I used to study aerospace engineering. And one of the things we looked at was always um, a limit load or, you know, called it limit load or factor load or load factor margin of safety, but it's all the same thing, right? So for example, let's say you have a commercial aircraft and it's flying, you know, there's a lot of stresses on the aircraft. It can only take so much um, physical strain before a wing snaps, for example. So if it takes for argument's sake, 100 units of stress on the wing, right? That's how much it has to endure to fly safely. Well, you're not going to design the plane to only take 100 units of stress. You want to design it for 200 units of stress. That way, if it goes a little bit over, you're okay. So how does this apply to finance? All right, let's, let's, let's go through this. Let's look at it from an income versus expenses ratio. So let's say you make $5,000 a month, okay? 
So that's your money in. And let's say your money out is $5,000 a month. So you don't have any savings. So your margin of safety kind of goes like this. Let's say there's an unforeseen expense of $500. You pretty much can't afford that. So your options are either to reduce your expenses somehow or come up with the money some other way or to go into debt credit card, personal loan, that kind of stuff. That last one is probably where I reckon most people end up, either because they actually don't know their financial position. What that means is they don't really know what their money in, money out situation is, and if they're ending up with a net positive. Now, you could be one of those people where it's like you look at your bank accounts and you're like, hey, it's growing every month. Great. you know. But I always feel that you should at least have some understanding of where does our money go? Because if you assess how much you spend, and actually a lot of the banks do this for you now, if it turns out that half your income goes to eating Uber Eats, wow, is that a good way of spending your money? Okay. So income versus expenses. Okay. Let's say you had a little bit more of a buffer, right? So let's say your income is 5,000, but your expenses are 2,000. That means you're able to save about 3,000 every month. And let's say in a few months, you've got like $10,000 saved up. If there's an unforeseen event, right, or an emergency or something, you've got more than enough. And then you pay for that emergency and then you keep going forward. You keep moving forward. Sometimes what happens is if you don't have enough to cover these unforeseen circumstances, you go into debt to pay to service those unforeseen circumstances. And then as soon as you're in debt and you don't know how to manage your debt, your debt gets your debt gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And then suddenly now you can't get out because the debt is growing faster than you can service it. Typically it's, you know, credit cards that are 20%. I think recently I just checked they're like 22, 23%, some of them, right? Plus all the fees, plus all the keeping, and the annual keeping, all that kind of stuff, right? So margin of safety is really important. The reason I was kind of thinking about this recently is there's been a lot of talk. I mean, it's like May of 2022 at the moment, and there's a lot of talk of you know interest rates going up and down and all this kind of stuff, but mostly going up. And you know, there's a lot of statistics going out there of you know an X percentage increase will cause a, a Y amount of increase in your mortgage repayments. Okay, so when buying a house, for example, and you know, the interest rates are sitting at like 2%. Well, do you plan your whole life and your expenses and everything around 2%? Well, no, because let's say it goes up to 2.5% and suddenly your mortgage repayments goes up by, you know, $100 a month or $200 a month. Or, you know, if it gets really, really bad, it could be three or $400 a month, With which some analysts are saying that, that it could go there. Could you actually service that extra amount of costs? Now, some people can, and that's fantastic. I'm so glad they have savings or they don't even need to dip into their savings. They've got good jobs or extra money or whatever it might be. The danger becomes in, let's say you buy a house that you can barely afford or you buy a car you can barely afford. Essentially, you're buying far beyond your means. What that means is you've got no margin of safety. So if there's a slight change to that circumstance and it gets worse, what do you do next? So I've heard stories, I've read stuff where let's say the maximum amount that you can borrow for a house is, pick a number out of thin air, 700 grand or something, 800, let's pick a higher number, let's say 800 grand, but you can only really afford 600 comfortably, enough that like if you bought a house at 600,000 and interest rates went up by 1%, you're like, I'm good, I can still sleep, 
we still we can still save. We're all good. But if, for example, you go, I'm going to go for eight hundred thousand, right? And basically, that's it. You cannot afford to do anything more. You've hit the maximum limit of what you can afford to the point where you're like, well, do I need to take a second job? Do I need to work longer hours? Do I do need to do a side gig? Do both me and my partner need to make more? You know, like I don't think that's a good way to live. Like, look, if you want to live that way, it's <laughs> do whatever you want. But I personally, if someone was asking me what's the best way, it would be this. When I was planning on buying a house, there's always unforeseen expenses. It's going to happen. So the more conservative you are, the better. Because the true success, I think, when it comes to finances, isn't always about picking the best investment deals, picking the perfect house, or anything like that. The true success is actually being able to stay in the game long enough for your current investments to bear fruit. Investments take time to grow. If you put $100,000 away in an index fund or in any investment that grows by 5%, you're only going to make $5,000 that year. And then maybe, you know, 6,000 the next year and maybe 7, 8,000 the next year. So for the first 5 years, like nothing's really happening, you know? It's not a lot. Where you really start feeling the power of your investing, especially through compound interest, is later on down the line when your investments have grown to a million dollars and a growth of 15% on a million dollars is 150 grand tax free. Just think about that. That means in a single year when your expense, when your investments get large enough, you make more money from your investments tax free than you would working a job for an entire year. You know, but that doesn't happen right away. So one of the secrets is you want to set up or you want to make decisions that will allow you to stay in the game in a world that is very that can be very unpredictable. So things like interest rates going up, cost of living going up, having to suddenly move houses, having to change jobs. So I know everyone's in like a different financial situation. And I would agree that I would admit actually that even five years ago, I would not know, I would not have known to do any of this stuff. I would have been of the mind that um, let's say five years ago and everything's all sweet. You're like, oh, cool. I can afford my food. Nothing's wrong. My life is good. Why would you worry about any of this stuff? And so I think a lot of the times when this comes up and you have to start thinking about it is when everything hits the fan, right? When your life is completely crumbling around you, can't afford your car repayment, or you lose your car, or you can't afford rent, or the food you're buying is like the cheapest you can find, or you're trying to stretch that beef mince as long as possible. You know, when those things start happening, or your the investments that you pick start losing money, or you start losing tens of thousands of dollars. And I've been spoken to recently about this, that... Some people have put money into investments they don't understand, and they've lost tens of thousands of dollars. You know, and sometimes those experiences are good because they teach you. So there are some experiences require you, I guess, to lose money to learn the experience, right? To learn, oh, I shouldn't do that again. That's kind of how we live. That's how you learn anything in life. But when it comes to investments, as you as you move forward. You want to you want to think about longevity, because the longer you stay in the game, right, the more success you will actually have. And how does this actually unfold? I'll tell you. So every, not every, well, it happens all the time. But let me be more specific so you can kind of get an example. Like let's say COVID, right? COVID was a time where the stock market crashed by like thirty percent, something like that. And a lot of people will be like, oh, well, that opportunity is gone. 
I should have put money down when it dropped because then I can ride it on the way up. But that's not completely true because it's very easy to say those kinds of things in hindsight because you can see that oh, it went up. But let's say if you look at a company like Alibaba right now, the stock has tanked completely. It went from $400 down to now like $80 or something like that, right? Would you have the guts to put money on that investment now? I don't know. Some people do, some people don't. But the point of the story is this. You don't know when the next big event is going to happen, be that in real estate with interest change, interest rate changes or crashes in the stock market or bubbles or anything like that. You don't know when it's going to happen, how big it's going to happen. And the whole idea of longevity and a margin of safety is that when those things hit and you will take a hit, a lot of the times, your house will lose value, your investments will lose half their value, whatever it might be, is that the way you've designed it, you have enough of a margin of safety, not only to survive through that, to make it through, but also you have, let's say, funds available to take advantage of that crash. Here's an example. 2008, when we had the global financial crisis, right? A lot, well, pretty much everything collapsed. The housing market went down. At that time, let's say you had eight properties. And I remember reading this one story where this couple, they just kept borrowing money, borrowing money, borrowing money, more and more and more. And they kept increasing the number of houses they had. I think they had eight by the end of it, by 2008, right? So they had about eight houses, I think was the story. And then the global financial crisis hit and they were completely screwed. They had no backup um, per se. Now, even if they did have a backup, would they have survived? I don't know. But I would argue that you'd have a better chance of surviving. Now, let's say they survived with eight houses through 2009 and they had funds left over to buy more properties. They would be in such a prime position to capitalize on the market, right? Same thing for COVID. If you were able to survive through that, you know, possibly keep your job or have enough money to make it through those 18 months, and then invest in the right things, having the knowledge to invest or buy houses at the time or whatever it might be. When things finally recover, which they typically do, then you end up in a much better position and then you just rinse and repeat. But with every new investment, you always want to think about, well, what happens if this goes wrong? So here's like a little test that you can do to see kind of how prepared are you and how good your margins of safety are in your life. Right, And this is not, you don't have to tell anyone what you get, but it's more for you to think about like, oh, maybe I didn't have a strategy for that. Maybe I didn't have a plan for if that happened, what's my backup, right? But at least by thinking about it, you can go, well, what can I do to solve that problem? What can I do to solve the next problem? And then as you kind of knock these things out, you knock them down and you, you come up with a plan, you'll be surprised at not only how well you sleep, but then you start to think about, well, what's the next opportunity or what can I learn? Or, you know, what's the next investment or like, you know, and it's not all about just making more and more money. You know, don't get me wrong. It's more like just being in control of your own destiny being in control of your control of your own life, you know, not working jobs that you hate or being in financial positions that you hate or not being able to provide for your family the way you want to. That's really what it's about. It's not buying a mansion. Anyways, back to the test. Here's like some simple ones, right? So let's say right now, right now, suddenly there was an unexpected expense of $5,000. What would you do? Could you pay for that $5,000? Yes or no? right? Would you need to borrow? Would you need to ask for family? Or would that really screw up your finances? Would you be like, oh man, like, uh, we're going to have to pull it out of this savings fund. Maybe we can't afford that holiday. You know, like what's your plan for an unexpected 5k? 
Now, me personally, I always keep quite a large chunk of extra funds just in case. They're quite large. Um, and that was learned from Barefoot, right? So Barefoot Investor, the book, which we've talked about, please get it if you haven't got it. Just buy it. It's the freaking best book ever, right? There's a fund that, no, not a fund, I'll be careful with my words, but when you set up your accounts with a bank, you know, you can have multiple accounts in the same um, in the same account. And one of them is called fire extinguisher. And there you put a lot of money for these unforeseen events so that if something does happen, you pay for it and then you move on. That's it. And I'll give you a little example of when this happened to me. So um, I was driving around in the country, didn't know the roads, and then suddenly um, we broke a law, like a driving law. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was a very kind of unique one. You know, it wasn't like we were speeding or, you know, kind of going across a red light. It was just one of those, you know, you accidentally did it and you didn't know and you're in a different area and the rules are different there. And, you know, you get slapped with a really big fine, you know, like seven, $800 or whatever. You're like, damn, right? Now, I had a pretty big margin of say. I had big margin of safety. So, you know, I did, I was just like, oh, no worries. Paid, let's enjoy our holiday and just move on. That's it. That's the power of having a margin of safety so that when these unforeseen things happen, number one, you just deal with it and you move on. And number two, it doesn't mess up your day. It doesn't mess up your weekend. It doesn't mess up your month. It's just one of those, it's going to happen. If it wasn't that, it was going to be something else. Pay it. You're done. Move on. Enjoy your life. Just put it behind you. You know, that, that kind of attitude. Here's another one. What if you lost your job tomorrow and you had four weeks notice, right? So four weeks before you had to find a new job, right? Or let's say there was no four weeks. Let's say you're a contractor and you lost your job today. Now what? What's your plan, right? How, mu how much margin of safety do you have? So those are just some simple examples. Or someone gets sick in your family or someone dies and you have to pay for the funeral. Like there's all these kind of unforeseen things. Now, obviously the older you get and the more responsibilities you have, you know, kind of the more you take on and these kind of fire extinguisher funds get larger and larger. Okay, but it's depending on your set of circumstances. So it doesn't need to be a half a million dollars or something like that. It just needs to be whatever you think will let you sleep at night. So that if the worst happens, as they say, plan for the worst and then hope it never happens. That's that's really all it is. So that's basically margin of safety. And I think it's just really important to think about it just as a recap, just something to put in your life so that you can enjoy the investments you make. You can enjoy the decisions you make. You're not freaking out every single day when you read about these interest rate increases. You know, you're not worried about, you know, because all this stress, it, it takes a toll. It adds up. And it's only a matter of time before someone breaks. They crack. You know, so you're trying not to put yourself into a position like that. And if it means buying a slightly cheaper house, that's okay. That's okay. I think it's really important then. When you're buying investments or you're buying a house or you're buying a new TV, you're buying it because it's something you want. It's not because you're just trying to get a bigger house than your neighbor or your or your sibling or your family member or your friend. Like, you know, in the world of investments and all that kind of stuff, like if, if you're doing it for competition, well, it's not going to end well. You should do it for yourself and your family. That's it. That's it. All right. So we're going to end it there. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode just like you would every other episode that we do because we're just that good. But until next time, have a great day and bye. Thanks for watching another episode of 
Bruh finance if you want to support the work we're doing you love the things you're hearing from us consider supporting us through patreon at patreon.com forward slash brah b-r-a-h underscore finance by signing up you're going to get access to all sorts of things like spreadsheets and articles and video and training and all sorts of content so again thank you for watching and have a great day